Hey everyone, welcome to the Belena Podcast. In this episode, we have Mike Elias, founder of Idea Market. He'll be interviewed by Alex Marinos, founder and CEO of Belena. I'll be co-hosting too. I'm Andrew Nem, your producer. Idea Market is, well, a marketplace for ideas built on Ethereum Layer 2. It's a place where good ideas can thrive and where it's really hard, actually quite expensive, to support bad ones. In this episode, Mike will first talk to us about UFOs. Yes, unidentified flying objects. The whole point is to pique our curiosity, get us interested in what might be possible. Whether you believe in UFOs, UAPs, or not, you probably should believe in the power of a great idea and the ability to enable other people to share great ideas that they find out in the wild. Check it out. So, hello, everybody. In case you happen to watch this, um, this is a is going to be a bit of a concept podcast. Uh, so I've asked my my, my friend uh, Mike Elias to uh, uh, record a record a session, which we might release. Um, that he's going to try to explain to me uh, a couple of things that he has two interesting concepts, which is way too much for a single person. But um, there we are. So um, so Mike is uh, the founder of Idea Market. Uh, and we're going to talk, this is the one topic we're going to talk about, uh, what is idea market? Uh, I'm really interested in sort of prediction, sense making, you know, that sort of thing. The blockchain is also, uh, something that's in on my radar. So all of those three things <laughs> are somehow involved. Um, so I'd love to hear more about that, but then we've had a side topic since the, the previous time me and Mike, uh, chatted, uh, about, um, uh, UFOs, UAPs, call them what you will. Um, and, um, Mike has a very interesting thesis that he kind of sent me the doc and I was like, oh man, we got to talk about this too now. Uh, so we're like, well, okay, let's record something and, uh, uh, sort of ask questions like from a, from a place of relative ignorance. Um, this is something we do at Belena. Uh, we tend to, uh, try to really ask questions, not to sort of nod our heads and say, okay, but actually get to the point of understanding. Uh, we do it so weekly. We do it weekly. We do it many times a week, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, we thought we kind of could 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 sort of take that. Uh, we're gonna have Andrew as well, um, also doing his own sort of uh, stereo questioning. So I don't know. Uh, I think this is gonna be. I'm I'm excited. I think it's really really cool. Uh, Mike, welcome. Thanks so much. Um, sounds like fun. I'm happy to be here, and it's it's always always a pleasure to chat. So, which one shall we take first? Which let's let's, <laughs> let's do UFOs. Let's do the, yeah. Oh, okay. the other way. Okay. Yeah. UFOs first. All right. So, do you want to give us uh, your? So, so I have basically not looked into this at all. I don't know, Andrew. Have you? Have you? Dug, I mean, I've seen your thesis, and like I've been living in on the on Twitter for <laughs> a while. So I've seen things, but like I don't really have any gelled opinions on this. Yeah, uh, Andrew, do you have any? I have the position of see headline, kind of laugh, kind of scoff, move on. All right. So I have so much to learn the, here as well. I'm more convincible, I think. Andrew's going to be the cynic. <laughs> cool. Cool. So what's your what's your thesis? Do you want to give like a, a very like top sure. down uh, sure. thesis? I mean, I mean, you can you can of... if you if this turns into a monologue, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Go until you're, right. well, you're satisfied. It, it, prob it probably will in a bit, but for now, I'm just trying to like get the scope down. But when you ask what's my thesis on UFOs, I'm kind of imagining standing on the ed the deck of a ship, 
with like a fathom thing, like lowering the rope to see how deep the water is. Yes. And it just eats the whole rope. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I see. Oh. oh, I see. Oh, I see. It's kind of like a bottomless right. well, not only of information, but also of implications. Right. Um, because. Yeah, yeah, the, right. The, because it's not like, do they exist? But if they do, then, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's really like, um, I came to it when I was at a point where I was feeling, I was feeling like stifled and unheard. And so to kind of, in a sort of self-therapeutic kind of way, overcome that, I was having a hobby of finding unpopular realities and putting myself (laughs) in a position to just fight the crowd on it. And I just happened to discover a really thorough uh, Reddit comment about UFOs. And the Reddit comment was just like the whole, the whole first, it was actually broken into two because it didn't fit in one. And the first one was just quotes by admirals and astronauts and generals and presidents and CIA directors and stuff about UFOs being real or being aliens and just like unequivocal you know, endorsements of the phenomenon, um, sometimes from firsthand experience, sometimes people saying like, oh yeah, we even have this technology. Just there's like not really a limit status-wise to the level of authorities that have endorsed this. And when I saw that, I went, oh wow, there might, you know, really be something here. It's not something that I had thought about that much until like 2015. But because it seemed to have this great juxtaposition of a lot of substance behind it and being kind of really unpopular and taboo, it really attracted me a lot. And um, starting to plummet from there was uh, just just opened this whole huge world of, of implications. Because if, if UFOs are physical objects, which they totally are, and they're performing maneuvers which are not understandable by known physics, which they totally are, then there's there's some things that we have to learn. Right. And those are just the very basic, you know, things to, to start with. Um, and it just, it, it goes really far. And I'm sure we'll get there in, in this conversation, but that's that's kind of where I would start with it. That if, if you want to go down a really good rabbit hole, oh man, like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's an end to it. It's absolutely bonkers. So, so yeah, so you have a thesis here, right? Like, uh, Andrew, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to get some definitions down because, you know, sometimes you hear people talk about UFO and it's like, yep, that alien came and took my cow away, beamed it straight up to its ship. And it's like, oh, okay, but you're talking about physical, unidentified flying objects. Like, they saw it. All they said is like, hey, I saw it. And it did some crazy moves. And I'm just saying that I saw it. And we need to investigate from there. Like, it's a very rational stance, right? Like, I saw a thing. And I'm just, all, all those people were saying, like, they saw the thing. Is that where they're starting from and where you're starting from? Well, I'm starting from the probably least objectionable level of it to, to start with mm-hmm. because it's that's the easiest thing to accept, especially given that so many of these sightings were also recorded on radar that only detect physical objects. And often it's not just one set of radar, but it's multiple across several states or something. And there's, you know, radar recordings. Like there's as much scientific 
instrumentation-based certainty as we really have about anything, that something is doing stuff that we can't explain. And of course, I believe things about two million times crazier than that. But we can at least establish that as a baseline for opening that door into that question. I should also clarify, yeah, that the term the term UFO, technically, yes, it stands for unidentified flying object, as everyone knows, but that could also be like a loud insect in a dark room. And so sometimes when people say UFO, the, their interlocutor says, well, yeah, it just means you didn't see it well enough or something like that. Um, there have been a number of, of studies, especially at the government level, that have taken all these sightings, all these experiences or whatever, and... Uh, there's always a subset, there's always a fraction that has no explanation by known earthly or human-built phenomena, despite an abundance of evidence, um, despite an abundance of evidence. So it's not just that you didn't see it well enough, it's that, no, I was standing two feet from it and I still don't know what it was, that kind of thing. <laughs> um Actually, before we even get further, um, what's the deal with a change in acronym? Like it went from UFOs to UAPs. Oh, like right. what what happened? Yeah. There? Like you know, is it that like, actually happened yeah. like sixty or seventy years ago within intelligence circles? Like the military and Pentagon have been calling that for a while because UFO was already becoming taboo. It was already like oh, the flying saucers that you see at the in the tabloids when they check out at the supermarket and. The, right. They came from outer space, like it had, it had been sillified by by then. It had been made silly, just within sillified. a couple decades of, of of Roswell, right? So, in order for the colonels to talk to the generals, they had to come up with a new term to make it palatable. Right. And so, so now now, now that's is... becoming more public. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, it's kind of like this sort of linguistic treadmill i think i i've called it once like where you know we have a word for a thing and it's acquiring a negative connotation that we don't want it to so then we kind of like you just use a new one but then that one will <laughs> it's like it's sliding away it's, from us can we like constantly yeah. grabbing onto the next concept we can like for yeah, whatever it buys it's us fruit like cycle it's a yeah. fruit like cycle like you in order to get adoption of a thing you have to like clarify it really well and it's really useful but then since it's useful, it gets abused and it gets kind of twisted or, or hijacked right. um, for, you know, in order to mislead people or something. And then so the usefulness goes down and you have to figure it out again. It's very frustrating. Okay, so we're, we're going to use these two terms interchangeably to mean something more than a, a loud sure. insect, basically. Uh, exactly, so exactly. So, I mean, one of the... Uh, the I, I've been reflecting on this actually recently and I think one tactic I have for, for sense making that I think is not too common. I don't. I don't even know. I was thinking about this yesterday, but it seems to, on first blush, at least, to look. It looks to me like it's separates how I think about things to how most others think about things. But the way I do it is, like, I just erase everything from my mind and say, okay, what do I know? Not like, can we do a statistical thing? Can we do a poll? You know, all of these like wavy, like you know, iffy things that people tend to like put together. I'm like, okay. There's a lot of people talking about a lot of things, and that has both been right and wrong in the past. So it's like I don't like putting it aside for the moment. Like, what do we know? So, what are some like undisputed facts about the the, the phenomenon? Like, what are things that you know, even the not sort of the uh, the most aggressive critics who would just like you know deny everything, but there are surely some skeptics that are 
a little bit more entangled with the facts and they would grant these things? What, what are those? I think most skeptics would grant that there are things that we can't explain. Um, that's, that's pretty much in terms of, you know, the facts of the case, that's, that's probably where skeptics would, would tend to agree. Um, they admit the data. They they would they would admit the data. Um, they would hopefully also admit that um, some some very serious colleagues disagree. They probably wouldn't completely write off, you know, generals and admirals and stuff and astronauts as you know pretending they didn't say that or anything like that. I mean, there's. It's it's hard to say because it's it's hard to find indisputable facts. Like they they right. tend to be they tend to be the very fodder of dispute. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I think at, especially at this point, uh, any skeptic would would be hard pressed to to say that no, we actually should understand all these things. I think I think that's that's the starting point. And and you said there have been phenomena where there's like several. Um, sort of uh, radar recordings and sort of, you know, as you said, like, if this were, if this looked like a jet, we would call it an incursion, like, from something. Oh, yeah. And it goes a lot further than that. In fact, the, uh, the history, the modern history of UFO encounters has often been correlated with nuclear activity and facilities. Um, that you know, there are numerous stories of UFOs activating or deactivating nuclear weapons within their silos, like remotely. Like they'll come and float around and flash some lights, and the nukes will turn on or turn off. And you know that scares the humans inside. You would think that's a national security concern, you know? Uh, yeah. um, right? <laughs> you know that that's a, that that's a, sounds like a minor. A yeah. minor national security issue, right? <laughs> they're, 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 they just walk in the door and start playing with your biggest weapons on the on the planet that you've ever had, right? And so there's not <laughs> there's not really an upper limit to the seriousness of what you might call these incursions. If this were a human caused incursion, it would be history. It would be historic level incursions if if it were humans doing this. I mean, it sounds like a little bit of a mic drop, right? Like it's like, by the way. Don't get too cocky because clicky yeah. clicky. <laughs> yeah, I think there's. I think that's a really reasonable explanation and interpretation of it too. Like that's that's been posited a lot. That you know right. these are these are beings who have sort of done the technological evolution thing and they see where we are and that it's kind of a precipice, and they're just kind of going, yeah, we see you there with your little toys. You be careful now. And every now and then, you know, you know, it gives gives us a little scare, gives us a little reminder mm -hmm. of what's going on. So, okay, so so we kind of have a, a whole, let's say, you know, bag of evidence from military sources that should be believed as much as any military source should, which is not 100%, but it's definitely not zero. Uh, it's probably more than 50, uh, something. Um, and is there, are there other sort of classes of evidence that go in that same, uh, or even against uh, that direction? Um, by classes, what do you mean by classes? Sorry, so so you know, military reports is is one sort yeah. of column of evidence. Um, sure. What else do we have? Um, oh, like what other what citizen are... science source like set of data, right? Like people setting up 
kind of the same yeah. stuff that they're using to read the stars and monitor all these other things like is there a group that's doing that for uaps um i'm sure there are a few groups like that i'm don't remember off the top of my head what they are right now in the present day it, it seems like there's a lot of open source kind of things going on so i'll have to you know get back to you with some references on that but Another class of evidence for firsthand experiences like that comes from airline pilots. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there's a special credibility there because you don't want airline pilots responsible for hundreds of people at a time hallucinating <laughs> things at 30,000 feet. Right. So they're always, you know, paying they're you know, they're taking this risk anytime they report something like this. It's not something that they're doing for fun or for, to troll people or anything like that. And it's not something that they would do unless they felt it was like important, had a certain level of confidence around it. Um, and, you know, there's an abundance of, of these pilot kind of reports. Um, there's a, there's a book called, uh, it's written by Leslie Keene on this. I don't remember the title, but it's about pilot and military reports of, of UFOs. And she goes into great detail and it's, um, it's a great sort of overview of, of this stuff. Um, from a sympathetic scientific kind of attitude. Um, there's a lot of psychoanalytic work. There's There was a chair, I think it was chair of the psychiatry department at Harvard, John Mack, uh, caused a stir when he went to, I believe it was South Africa, to interview a bunch of school children who had seen a UFO that like landed at recess and they all saw it and they all like drew pictures of it and stuff and like aliens came out and were like hi and they left and this is you know Harvard chair of psychiatry going to study this stuff and he's saying no these people are not acting like people who hallucinated they're not acting like um mass hysterics or anything like that um this from all available, you know, psychiatric evaluation. It seems like this is what you would do if you had had a normal everyday experience. Um, I'm sure he's not the only person who has done work like that. Um, I do think a lot of the most compelling stuff comes from the military, not only because they have the tools to record things really well. They have fighter jets that can fly after it and those jets have radar on it and they have radar in different states that are monitoring things all the time. Yeah. Um, it's kind of their job to yeah. look out it's for kind of unidentified I, I hope. Uh, totally. <laughs> you think. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, like a, a lot of a lot of the my favorite stuff comes from there in, um, in terms of the sort of ufo lore and you know body of, of general evidence um and you know generals don't like being thought of as crazy and you know, it's, right. it's 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 a hard it's a hard kind of line line to walk um if if you were to steel yeah. man the opposing argument right like what's the best sort of counter argument for this that you've you've heard the best counter argument for ufos being um, a, a real occurrence uh, that yeah, i mean again occurrence. we don't know if yeah hmm, yeah right because okay yeah. actually you uh, know what before we do this let's let's sure. jump into a, a prior question which is sort of what are the main sort of classes of 
explanatory frameworks, right? One is obviously extraterrestrials. Another might be like secret technology of some kind. Like what, what are the, yeah. like the main sort of camps, let's say from the people who are convinced that these things are real, what are the sort of um, main, main explanatory frameworks? Yeah, there are. And I should have, I should have said a long time ago, this is not like an official area of expertise. It's a, it's a hobby. That oh, I'm no, yeah. We're just, just, uh, just we're just, know, I'm, not, I'm not, not that ending authority on this. Obviously extraterrestrials is, is one explanation. Um, like a breakaway civilization, like humanity has developed this in secret is another explanation. Um, it's time traveling humans from the future is another explanation that that gets considered. Um, and it's like m mass hysterical projections, like some kind of shared psychological, mythical manifestation or something uh, is another explanation. Um, in a certain way, oh, they also could be like interdimensional, like things coming right. down from higher dimensions to like pop in and go, hey, what's up? And then and then hopping back right. into their I'll dimension. Buy that one. Like, <laughs> like. All, all of these, like, these are not even irreconcilable with one another. And uh, there, there's probably some of these, some of these are, are a mix of these. Um, it, it's possible that all, most or all of these have examples um, in the evidentiary you know, archive. Um, but that, 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 that would probably be about, about the spectrum of, um, you know, interesting interesting explanations for and and there's also sort of the uh you know either domestic or foreign you know r d uh from like top secret r d of some some shape or other or i you know. i suppose so like i don't even think so because this kind of top secret is not the what what you would call um incremental technological development that we all believe exists like you go, you go F-18, F-22, F-35 over the course of like 40 years or something, that's, you know, pretty slow. But, you know, when you, that, when, when we think we went from Wright brothers to SR-71 in about 50 years, and then the SR-71 remains the coolest plane in the world for 70 more years. It's like, did this curve continue? And then just the PR about it stopped Ooh. or or what so but like along the, the the narrative angle of this is just secret tech that we have or that the russians have or that the chinese have doesn't fit with the narrative that tech is instrument incrementally developing in the way that the public knows about so it's still even if that explanation were true it would still be a huge narrative violation oh for sure i mean i'm not i'm not even saying that it's okay it's as salvage as most of you know our understanding of the world uh it's it's the most conservative among a set of pretty out there <laughs> explanations. Yeah. Sure, like, yeah. Absolutely. Consider the context that it's it's sitting in. It's like the little, yeah, you mean, know, ordinary one. Right. Even because even if that even if that were the case, it would mean that all the wars that are fought with conventional weaponry are theatrical in nature. Or something. <laughs> because if come on, if you have tech that can just flip on nukes or just be around the world or go to Jupiter like it's going to McDonald's, then all the like tanks and stuff do not matter. Like this is all, it, it's on another sphere of relevance if that's the case. And we're probably like collaborating with the Chinese to mine gold from the moon or something. Like there's, if that tech is secret tech that governments have, there's a whole other world of politics happening that 
it does not reach the public at all. Yeah. Cool. So, so, okay. With that sort of uh, set of hypotheses like out there, um, what are the best sort of that you've, you've heard sort of anti, uh, um, like skeptical cases, I guess, like counter arguments. Sure. Um, I'm going to be completely frank and I hope it's at least funny, but I don't really remember good counter arguments to this. I can't oh, no, think that's, of any. that's pretty, <laughs> I, I, this happens to me a lot. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a tough question because like, for instance, for me, for stuff that I go into, I will make the effort to find what that is. But once it's no longer interesting to me, I will like, it falls off the back of my mind. I don't yeah. have it always fresh and ready to recover. Yeah. But I, I do remember, um, some common arguments that a lot of very smart people make. And I think it's just kind of maybe mis misdirected. Um, one of the most common ones is, well, faster than light travel is just impossible. So if they're here, they would have come from so far away that they would have had to have left like millions of years ago and humans weren't even here yet. So why would they come and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just not physically possible. Um, and if you're like an absolute, you know, Einsteinian, you know, convert, and that's just like the way the universe is period forever, no exceptions, then that, that could make sense. But the history of science is the history of unlesses. Like at the Wright brothers time, it was, you know, heavier than air flight is impossible. And the Wright brothers came along and found conditions under which that wasn't true. They came along and said, unless you put together a plane that works this way and like cooperates with the laws of physics in this way, and then you can do that. And the fact that modern science, at least in the public space, hasn't found the unless set of conditions that makes faster than light travel possible doesn't mean that in another million years of science that we won't. Like we've had 500 years of what you might call science. But if another civilization is just a million years older than us, and the universe is 14 billion years old, right? So this is a minuscule fraction of the history of the universe. If another civilization is just a million years older, then they've had, what, 5,000, 50,000 times more scientific culture than we have? And it's just not reasonable to expect that we know more than them, that there's just that little left to discover. Oh, I, this, this resonates with me a ton, right? So, um, I, it's, it's kind of, I mean, you know, we've, we've, we've met over sort of pandemic, uh, conversations. And one thing that just is glaring at me is how many experts are like presenting their, you know, they might be the, like relatively at the top of their fields, but they confuse that for at, on top of the knowledge in their, the, the, the not, not the existing, but possible knowledge in their field. So they, 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 they omit a silent so far as we know in, at the end of every sentence. And of course, you, you don't need to say that. But sometimes they actually make, actually very often, they make the mistaken inference that would imply that they don't even think that it's there, right? Like, uh, you know, it can't possibly be like this or this, this is impossible or this isn't, you know, like, neg like negations that would not be made if, if that was uh, taken uh, into account. 
uh, that sort of thing. In fact, that one of my strongest sort of uh, questions I have so far with what you described is, you said, we have seen things that could not be explained by um, uh, current, uh, you know, what we know about, about, about physics. And, and the reason I'm, uh, I'm highlighting that because is because that's one of my, one of my sort of criteria is, I mean, it's, it's not that those many claims cannot be made, but they have a very high uh, burden uh, of proof on them. But um, it's, it's like, if you, if an expert tells you something is possible, believe them. If an expert tells you that something is not possible, get another expert get another opinion um so so maybe we can dig in on that way you think it's yeah you know, where that claim comes from that that certain things that we have detected are, are are literally literally impossible based on current physics well i i love the citation of of the idea that if, if an expert tells you that something's impossible get another opinion um because one of the sort of recurring themes of scientific culture right now is they kind of project this impression that there's a consensus. 99% of scientists agree with X, but when it's like, when it's about UFOs, they have that statistic because they don't ask the scientists who have studied that their whole life. They just, we've asked everyone but UFOologists and 99% of those non-UFOologists say that they don't exist. And there's this, there's this fudging of consensus there, um, that I, I think is a is a you know kind of a funny instantiation of that. If they tell you it's impossible to find another expert, well, it turns out there's a whole class of experts that are being shut out of certain conversations. Um, that's true with uh, UFOs. That's true with psychic phenomena. That's true with religious phenomena. That's true with um, alternatives to the COVID vaccine. Like this is this is not a rare thing. Um, As it relates to yeah. UFOs and UAPs, where's who is currently that that body of of experts? Like who ha where's all that that capital distribution going of like mental and and, and money power going? Yeah, um, given that there's not a lot of public assistance from the government on scientific research into UFOs. Uh, it's, it tends to be, well, I, I shouldn't claim to know where their funding comes from, but it's not as robust as, as traditional academic scientific funding. Um, so it's tends to be other groups of scientists that call themselves UFOologists or UFOlogists, and they devote their lives to studying these phenomena. And that's just outside the military. Inside the military, there are entire departments and programs that are devoted to this. Within the CIA and intelligence communities, there's definitely a lot of documentation. A lot of study has gone into this uh, in the past, you know, several decades. A lot of that is now public. Um, the CIA documentation, like, not that I would necessarily encourage trusting the CIA, but when you look at the public documents that the CIA has published, it reads like Star Trek. It's just it's <laughs> more bonkers than bonkers, and it's stuff that you know. The intelligence community. This is not the idiot hysterics community. This is the intelligence community, the people whose job is to know things in the military and have a knowledge advantage over other militaries. Uh, they've just really, you know, studied and published a lot of incredibly far out things. And so um, I hope that kind of gives 
mm-hmm. at least of a, a so beginner's where is there uh, beyond the reports and i, I haven't I, yeah. i've heard again about releases but i don't actually know what's in them sure. um sure. beyond the sort of let's say very well documented events that i'm i'm assuming they have you know this event happened and this is what we know you know everything here's the, here's the testimonies here's the radars whatever um do they have any any sense making they've done on top of that and hypothesizing any sort of uh exploration beyond that in in those documents the hypothesizing tends to fall into those few camps that i mentioned earlier the um aliens or advanced human tech or uh humans from the future like and it could be from the far future it could be like evolutionary future millions of years in the future um mass projections and stuff that that hypothesis is typically associated with a guy named Jacques Valley who's very interesting and I don't know his work extremely well except for that's one of his interpretations because right. he's he's simultaneously kind of taking it seriously and kind of a skeptic um which is not actually that common a combination typically mm-hmm. when the more seriously people take it the less skeptical they become of course the um, uh, yeah. but in in the documents themselves of what we know that the government is thinking you said they there's whole departments you know beyond documenting yeah. the sure. specifics like do they try to apply any interpretive inter- interpretive framework or they just kind of say well that's what we know it depends on what level of public acknowledgement um you're talking about because in publicized documents in the things that end up in the new york times you'll find every level of official cia directors ex cia directors dia directors um which you know i also wouldn't as a rule encourage trusting such people <laughs> um but uh there's generals air force people admirals even those from other countries astronauts all that stuff um saying at the very least on tv and stuff like that we don't know what this is it's not ours pretty sure it's not russian or chinese or anything like that and that's that's become in the last couple of years an okay thing to say on tv mm-hmm. Uh, a few of them have even gone so far as to say we can't rule out the extraterrestrial hypothesis and that's about the limit of uh public acknowledgement and with so ma- as with so many things it's not so much that the information isn't out there that the um scientific reasoning about it and the sense making isn't accessible to the public it's that it hasn't been given the sort of social approval from uh, authoritative institutions that this is something that is you know reputationally safe basically the levels of acknowledgement are the difference between it where the line of skepticism is and um where like you asked is there sense making on top of the sort of data collection efforts that have mm-hmm. been done by various groups and the answer is absolutely yes um the the difference is on the spectrum of sense making that's been done where's the public acknowledgement line where's mm-hmm. what you know what's safe to talk about for people in positions of power and and status and things like that um because the sense making that's been done on this even by the CIA is as bonkers as any random internet crackpot you could find like th- yeah. i mean it and and that's that's why i say a lot like um you don't judge arguments by their conclusions because right. the conclusions can be super bonkers but this this is as serious of investigations as institutional investigations get 
and the conclusions are, are really, really out there. And, you know, we'll see how long it takes for that kind of stuff to be uh, publicly kosher, to be non-taboo. Um, but that's kind of the, the long, long-winded answer to your question. Is there sense-making on top of this stuff? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, there's, there's a decades-long fascination, since, especially since Roswell in 1947. There's been um, a lot of interest in this. And then even before that, in World War II, uh, you know the band Foo Fighters? You know, the term Foo Fighters was what World War II pilots called UFOs. Right. Ah. Uh, so like even before the Roswell crash, this was a military interest. Um, I've heard that, what's his name? Winston Churchill talked to Roosevelt about it. Maybe Winston Churchill talked to someone, someone else prominent about it and be like, Hey, like maybe we should figure out what this, what these little lights are. They're flying way faster than our planes and like running circles around and stuff. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's been a topic of military fascination for incredibly long, possibly thousands of years um i another question i have is is there any predictable uh pattern to any of this like have the people who have been like look based on you know this and this and this it seems to be you know more stronger like any way that any prediction could be made that could be um observed after like that's how einstein sort of got his theory accepted he was like you will see you know this thing you expect it to be there but actually it's going to be offset by this much over there like okay that's way too short sure. but anything sure. in that sort of general sure um there are a few different ways to address this question one is there has been a fair amount of study about the coincidence of ufos with nukes and nuclear weapons and testing and things like that um i don't remember who put together this graph, but there is kind of like a bell curve graph of, of UFO sightings uh, and nuclear testing coinciding with the same period. And like the frequency and locations are all the same and they line up in this incredibly synchronized, you know, bell curve graph. Um, so that's, that's, you know, the kind of a statistical way to look at it. I have also heard that the UFO phenomenon is both physical and, uh, psychic or telepathic in a lot of cases. So there are people who claim to be able to basically pray to UFOs or pray that UFOs will appear and they will. I don't recommend doing this because who the hell knows what forces you're playing with, but I bet that's true. Um, so that you could call that a prediction. Um, there have also been a lot of human, I've, I've heard a lot of stories and seen blueprints and stuff of technologies that should be able to produce gravity defying, uh, effects. Um, and there's, I've heard stories of people who invented something absolutely nuts and, you know, either a literal men in black, like guys in suits came and took it away and told him to shut up or watch out, or they got, uh, like immediately recruited into the black projects and everything was deleted from the public, but they worked for the government or some aerospace contractor for like 50 more years. Like there are a few different ways that that stuff works out. Um, but the kind of blueprints for all that stuff and the scientific discussion for all that stuff is like most taboo information, pretty abundant. There's a lot of room to explore this stuff and 
a lot of different angles have been tried and a lot of really interesting and potentially revolutionary science has been done in low status, completely no funding um, circles of, of the internet and of life. So there's, it, it's, there's, there's a whole jungle out there and you meet every kind of creature. This is actually, there's a beautiful segue into idea market because All right, cool. uh, if somebody has these thoughts, right, and they are heretical as in not espoused by the majority of the population, the more specific you get, the less uh, majority, the, the less people uh, will, will sign on to those views. So um, my understanding is that your startup, Idea Market, um, is working on something that might help bridge this gap, let's say, like help people with ideas that are unpopular, um, but correct, um, sort of be rewarded for being, because that's the best kind of correct, actually, right? It's not being technically correct. It is being correct when everybody else is wrong. That is, you know, a, 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 the best kind of epistemic quality you can get to. Um, but the way that the communal environment works right now, these are the people that get it the worst. And, and often, even if they're vindicated later, they don't get fully um, reestablished, even though they should be not just fully established, should be established even higher. They're like, well, you've locked into it, whatever. Um, this this is actually one of the most interesting things I've observed about narrative shifts. I've been I've been studying narrative shifts, um, uh, just just cataloging the ones I could remember and then collecting a few more. And it the the way it always seems to happen is that the main point of contention, like the masses, align with that, but in the minimally harmful to the 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 upper echelons kind of way, right? Which is like. We always were considering this, of course, um, and we never said it wasn't happening. And, um, you know, now that the evidence has been come sufficient, of course, we are, you know, acknowledging it. And everybody who doesn't agree with us, by the way, is crazy. And, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing, which is like, wait, weren't you like hunting down those other guys? Weren't the actual people preventing this from being? Yeah, they didn't allow understood? the unless before and all of a sudden it's yeah. like no we were behind it the whole time yeah 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 um so you know that's a really frustrating element and i think that makes us significantly dumber as a species because if you don't reward the people who got it right ahead of the others right the markets are the, the strength of the markets is this right you can be completely you can disagree with everybody make the right bet and you know you get the big short made for you right you don't get the the big crank made for you um so uh, so idea market, right? Idea market coming together. Uh, tell us, tell us the, give us the pitch. We're, we're, we're fertile ground. <laughs> cool. Yeah, no, the, the, the impetus came for it from exactly this situation where there's this huge and completely unnecessary gap between common knowledge and the world's best knowledge. And the world's best knowledge is just as available. It's just as accessible. It's there on the internet. It's like an object on the table. You can pick it up. Like the information space that we're in is like that joke about starving in a health food store. Like you're there, eat the stuff. And we're all just kind of in this massive supermarket of delicious wonders and staring at a corner full of empty cardboard boxes with TV cameras on it and lights on it and stuff. And that's, that's reality. But if we just stand up and walk around, oh, hey, there's amazingness at every turn and it's abundant, and it's life-changing and it's it's revolutionary. Um, and access is not the problem. Like there's a lot of discussion about 
you know, what discoveries will we make next? Well, they're already made, folks. We just have to like get them out there. We have to uh, operationalize them and, and, and make them acceptable. So Idea Market, thanks for the little rant there. Idea Market came, you know, I didn't come up with the metaphor marketplace of ideas. That's that's super old, so I can I can really take no credit for it. But when I was new to the crypto industry, I I got into it in about summer 2017. I was just looking for a remote job and happened to be offered like a um like a samurai COO kind of role at a what at a crypto startup. And so I had to learn about the industry. I was trying to figure out personal finances and learning how to invest. I'd never really done that before. And not having a finance background, not having a tech background, in order to figure out what the best crypto projects were, I would go to the super weird corners of the internet, 4chan, Reddit, anonymous forums and stuff like that, where the froth happens, like the sort of primordial ooze of the internet. And in those environments, that's where the best information in the world often comes out first. It may not be like credible coming from anonymous, whatever, but it is there. And so if you can sort through all the BS, which is something after studying UFOs for some years, I had some experience doing, um, then you can find really good information from 4chan before it reaches any kind of trustworthy um outlet. So my first experience of those communities was I've never seen so many people so curious, like at scale, there's just this ferocious curiosity. Everyone was saying, show me this, show me that, tell me what I'm missing. What's the best crypto project in the world that nobody's heard of and everybody's wrong about. These are people asking all the right questions, but in a niche in this niche that you could capitalize on through crypto markets. So I thought, wow, markets scale curiosity. So mm -hmm. what I wanted to see if we could do is use that same mechanism to create curiosity, not just about crypto projects, but about any information that's already out there on the internet so that people are that ferocious about looking for it, because that's really the missing link. It's not access, it's desire. That I, I love the market scale curiosity concept. It it makes perfect sense as well. I've been in my limited interactions with um, the markets. Um, I mean, I'm a I'm the kind of investor that has one one kind of stock. <laughs> yeah, I'm very simple in my in my interactions with the market. But you know, when I when I run into financial types, there's always a boring sort of model driven kind of uh, linear thinkers. But there's also definitely a place for the big short types and they're celebrated right who are like no wait if you connect this with this dot you know over here like they're always sunny philadelphia but actually that guy wins in the end you know um and and you that that is healthy like that is what peak you know intellectual curiosity looks like you might not like it <laughs> you know and, and scaling that i think is is just you know, if it's 1% of people doing that today or 0.1, if you can get it to 10x, whatever it is, you know, you don't probably don't want it to be 100% of people because then everybody's just running off in every different direction. But if you can like amplify that, what, whatever the signal is, I think I'll even go on and make a crack with theory of my own, uh, just so we're not leaving you hanging. Um, 
I'll say that the modern civilization, the way it works, it it, it works directly against that in that spirit of like differing, right? Like all the forces we have are, well, a lot of the forces we have anyway are to make us uh, say the same, like walk in line. You know, the Prussian school system basically. Um, and uh, you know, if we can if we can find that uh, seed of curiosity and 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 reward it, uh, it's it's massive for for all of humanity i think and 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 really if we're worried about authoritarianism that's the the one thing they're afraid of the most is people asking you know weird questions um and 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 being right that's even worse uh <laughs> um so uh, sorry go ahead um, it, in the in your medium article where you kind of explain the the thinking so there's a section on gold rush right you're, you're going to create an, a new kind of gold rush that serves people wanting to dig up just these interesting parts of the world, interesting ideas. Uh, how do you, in the same, using that same term, gold rush, how do you defend against folks who are trying to just exploit this new system, right? Like I, I saw the article, it was a Vice article where like you already have a million dollars of interest in this platform. Uh, you can better define that. I'm just reading the headline off. Um, but, but how do you prevent the bad actors from coming or are they welcome because the whole point will the whole system will figure itself out in the end yeah the point is to build a system that figures itself out in the end that makes it over time simply a bad idea to be a bad actor it's just not worth it anymore like uh the fact that markets generally generally punish worse thinking and reward better thinking over time, if, if the market is robust enough, will correct. And they call it a correction because markets care about reality. If you're wrong about something, it'll correct against you. So um, yeah, the, the entire goal is, is to build something that even if you are trying to manipulate it, the expense of that manipulation will go up, the utility of that manipulation will go down until it's just no longer even your best move. Yeah, I mean, the, the golden rule of product design, and I keep coming back to this, like, I feel daily at this point, make the right thing easy and the wrong thing hard, right? Like exactly. That, you wanna, yeah. If you have a product that does that, you've, you've won. You've manipulated the friction coefficients in such a way that the right thing will happen. Yeah, yeah, that's a perfect, a perfect description. Absolutely. And I think that that principle applies to just the whole human universe. Um, when... Sorry, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a rant now. No, go, you go. go. go, go That's go. what we want. Okay. <laughs> so when when there's a war happening, when two militaries are fighting, the end goal is not to kill all of the enemy's soldiers. It's to get the enemy leadership to change its mind. War is just like a particularly desperate kind of persuasion tactic. So it's not like weapons that end wars or just, you know, create lines on maps and stuff. It's decisions. The whole world, everything important about history and about the way societies function is based on decisions, not force. Force is just what happens when you run out of psychology, when you run out of persuasion ideas. Um, and you can see this in a purely psychology-based uh, nonviolence movements like like those by Gandhi, of which I'm a huge fan, where he's basically just creating a nonviolent situation whereby it becomes obviously the easy, advantageous thing to do 
to for the British Empire to leave India. He just creates a situation nonviolently where, like in product design, the right thing is easy and the wrong thing is hard. And when it comes to sense making and all the like there's there's a lot of conversations about incentives right now like what incentives is social media creating for media well you have to do clickbait you have to have um, outrage to create engagement and all that stuff but this is just the most like coarse grained levels of incentives that are going on you at a, at a more meta level you have uh social status dynamics that are playing out in entirely new ways and more explicit and more obvious, more direct ways. So that when you're trying to figure out the truth of something, the current of curiosity kind of comes up against the current of wanting to maintain your social status and they fight. And um, who wins, which force wins that battle depends for each person on the force of their curiosity their interest in their status, their uh, emotional attachment to a given outcome about the topic, their community's uh, beliefs about the topic, because if the community, you know, will reject you, if you change your mind, then you're, you have a, a reason not to. It's kind of like a psychological version of economics. You have psychological risks and words that are going on all the time in sense-making and part of the way propaganda works, part of the way social control works is by making it easy to do the obedient thing and hard to do the rebellious, curious thing. Um, and that's, that's one of the ways it does by taking, by pitting these sort of status type decisions against these curiosity type decisions. And the, I heard this great metaphor about the continental divide. You guys know what the continental divide is? I just recently learned this. The continental divide. Go on. Is a, okay. All right. It's a, <laughs> it's what? like a particular spot in the Rocky mountains where if rain falls on this side of it, it'll wash off into the Atlantic ocean. And if rains fall on that side of it, it'll wash off into the Pacific ocean. Oh, huh. It's like a particular spot, a particular like line down the continent where that'll happen. And in the psyche, there's a continental divide type thing where if you're a little more curious about this, it'll wash off into the curiosity side. And if you're a little more egotistical or status oriented about this, it'll wash off into the status side and it'll kill your curiosity. So idea markets approach is just to move the divide a little bit, to just add a little bit of force to the curiosity side so that a whole category of things that would have fallen on one side of that divide before will now fall on the other side. And just kind of change the sort of chaos theory of that. Does that make sense? Perfect. It does. Do you see this like uphill battle then in trying to move that divide when the rest of the world likes their black and white? You know, they like their clickbait. They like they seem to like their clickbait. They seem to like their outrage machine. Like, tell me a bit more about your thoughts. There. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm 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 very optimistic because what what I'm hoping to do is take existing forces and just organize them better, provide a way for people to organize them better. Um, by existing forces, I mean aspects of human nature that are just not going to go away anytime soon. Like um, in the history of society's relationship to sexuality, there's like hundreds and thousands of years of repression. And then the modern psychology with Freud and whatnot comes in 
and oh, actually, we should all express ourselves in the 60s, and that has its own problems. And then I'm not saying that now we have a super healthy relationship to it, but I think the sort of um, Hegelian synthesis of it is just having a relationship to sex that acknowledges it as powerful. It's not evil. It's not good. It's powerful. And it has to be related to in like a mature, respectful way that that power implies. And so um, in the same way that there's this sort of, you know, thesis, antithesis, synthesis in that sphere, there's a thesis, antithesis, synthesis in, in the same way that there's been an evolution in the way that we've dealt with the human force of sexuality and that evolution is ongoing. There's a way in which we can deal with the forces of like uh, outrage porn and the satisfaction of that and curiosity and these other psychological forces that just fits better. It's just a better fit and allows these things to find their expression in, in healthier and more beneficial ways. And one example of this is um, the clickbait outrage culture kind of gives a lot of people the impression that humans are just fundamentally dumb and not interested in the truth and just like want to hurt each other all the time. And there's an angle from which that's true, but I think it all kind of is based on a certain innocent curiosity that we can build infrastructure for. And that by allocating all this frustrated intellectual energy in the right ways, it won't need to uh, sort of soothe itself by beating up on people. The fact that, for example, I think that this is probably the, the point of my point here. Even if someone is believing all kinds of crazy things, the curiosity, it's, it's motivated by curiosity. It's motivated by a desire to understand truth. Everyone has this desire to understand what's going on. And even if that gets perverted by other motivations or by attachments or by a community or by trauma or by anything that might interfere with that desire, it's fundamentally there first. It's not, I don't care, and then I'm going to attack you. It's, I care, my caring is frustrated, I develop a complex, and then I have to deal with all this energy going into that complex and not having an outlet. But if we can just build channels that satisfy curiosity and allow it to express itself in a natural, non-perverted way, um, then we can avoid a lot of the mess that we're experiencing what i want to do next is kind of just jump into the meat of it like okay so there's this idea market box like what you know what can i do with it like how how would i use it like walk me through a workflow say i'm i'm interested in participating i have ideas um and i have money and i want to like let's connect. add alex in real time live demo i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's, it's very much inspired by Reddit. Uh, I was a huge Reddit fan in like 2013 to 15, maybe. And I loved the way that Reddit could crowdsource things from the weird fringes of the internet and make them mainstream and circulate all through Facebook in like a 24-hour period. Just incredible attention bombs for weird stuff in a short span of time. And it's like sort of democratic. And I was just really excited by what that like should be able to do for the internet. It turns out there's a lot of problems with that when a company is just, you know, privately owned and everything is very, you know, easily manipulable. Um, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. But the experience of idea market is supposed to kind of feel like a combination between Reddit and a traditional market. That 
Um, it's, it's Reddit with upvotes, but they're financialized upvotes. So there's risk reward decisions being made when you decide what to express your vote for. Mm -hmm. Um, in creating a sort of marketized Reddit like this, one of the first things we had to do was figure out how to codify the listings that compete against one another. How do you decide like where one piece of information ends and another begins? How do you decide where one idea ends and another begins? This is like a thing that can be sliced in infinite number of ways. And we've come up with a few answers and we're kind of doing experiments with a, a bunch of different answers. But the first one that we uh, launched with is we decided to categorize ideas into social media accounts. So we have Twitter accounts and Substack accounts and each, uh, each listing represents one account and sort of seems like uh, an ETF of that person's or that account's published work in the past. Um, so it, instead of breaking things down at the idea basis, you're really breaking things down at like the curator basis. You're curating the curators. And one of the problems that this solves is if you if we were to do it at like the article level, well, CNN publishes something on Tuesday. By the following Tuesday, no one cares anymore. So there's not enough really time to do price discovery on it. It's just the relevance cycle is so short. But when you're curating the curators, typically a, a relevant voice will stay relevant for years or have like a multi-year you know, market cycle on it. If I've had my Twitter account since what, 2009? That, that's a lot of time for people to decide if I'm doing a service to the public, to the public square or not. Um, so we wanted to have something that has this sort of long relevance lifespan um, as the as the first iteration of the product. So right now there's Twitter accounts, Substack accounts, uh, a platform called Showtime, which does NFTs. Um, and that's the first iteration. So if you think um, someone is doing really important research on uh, ivermectin or in, in January 2020, if, if someone was ringing the alarm bell on COVID before anyone else and doing a really compelling job of it, and media is not listening to you, then you can circumvent that whole process by crowdsourcing money behind that person and forcing them into the Overton window um, in a sort of GameStop type fashion, using, using money to send a message in the sort of crowdsourced grassroots kind of a way. Um, the second iteration of how do we codify ideas that we're going to launch, and that's actually in four days, that's actually Monday, December 13th. Ooh. is yes we we're launching a market there. that would be awesome we're we're launching a market for wikipedia articles Ooh. so every listing will be a different wikipedia article so um walk, walk me through this uh sure. well actually the there's i think i'm gonna say walk me through this at about 10 levels of attraction that's <laughs> so forgive me if i'm repeating myself. no go for it no that's great I, I, i'm i'm literally trying to create a live map of this in my head um so let's say i have a hypothesis that uh yeah. cinnamon cures COVID. um if, if any filters have not cut us off by now i think we're good to continue um okay so what do i do with it like i'm, I'm like i want to like you know be rewarded for this through idea market like i want to or whatever i can do like can i help my help me buy more attention i don't, I don't know but Right. How does yeah. idea market help me, I guess, is the broader Sure, question. sure. So it depends on which market you use. If you're using the Twitter market, um, you want to find the Twitter account that's doing the best job of explaining this and advocating for this 
idea uh, in a way that uh, you think is is compelling and that more people could, need could to see. Could that be it. me as well, or it has absolutely to be could be you? Okay. No, absolutely okay. could be you. Absolutely, yeah. And you you buy tokens that represent their Twitter account, and it moves them up the market, moves them up the rankings, so that like. In the same way that when you look at the Reddit front page, you see the top right. upvoted things. When you look at the idea market front page, you see the top market cap things. Right. Um, so people who are just passing by will want to know, all right, what does the public think I need to see right now? What does the market think is important? They will incidentally discover, they will inc incidentally discover you at a higher rate than if you have a lower rank. Um, there are a number of ecosystem integrations, like a browser extension that actually lets you see the idea market rank of Twitter accounts in the feed. So if people have that, um, they'll be able to see, oh, people really trust this guy. Like there's a lot of financialized credibility risk, risk behind this person. Um, we're working with minds.com right now, actually to experiment with putting it right into their user face natively interface natively. Um, so as the ecosystem grows, the attention side of the money attention feedback loop will increase. Um, but for now, it's basically this kind of Reddit, Reddit shaped model. Okay. So next question and probably the hard one, yeah. um, what stops this from becoming a Keynesian beauty contest? Like, uh, yeah. somebody's popular because somebody's popular and you're not actually predicting what's true, but yeah. uh, who is popular? So the funny thing about this is a Keynesian beauty contest is exactly the right shape for this because uh, a Keynesian beauty contest doesn't work because there's no real arbiter of the difference between winners and losers. There's no, like nothing really bad happens to you if your opinion of who's a beautiful woman is different from your peers. And so the market just kind of chases its tail because it's all about personal opinion. The cool thing about reality is that it happens to you. High stakes situations happen. Yeah. New viruses happen. New yeah. political events happen. At various points in history, you know, pretty frequently, um, there are things that you just have to know about for the sake of your mm -hmm. life, for the, your family, your food, your country, whatever. Just the fact of high stakes forces people to discern and to care about what's real and what's not. And when those kind of situations happen, people have to, you know, draw a dividing line between what's merely popular or entertaining and what's real. And basically the Keynesian beauty contest um, objection is handled by high stakes situations uh, in that sort of way. Uh, because if, if you're being right about something early kind of creates a filter for the limited resources that are left over for, for the, the bag holders for the late people. How does it, how's it so you're saying basically yeah. that the dynamics themselves of the Keynesian beauty contest will, so um, what is in a good example here? Um, the Iraq war say, right? Or, or, or um, Peter Dashak's uh, stock in being a truth teller, right? Early on, it might be that he is very well regarded as like totally like the guy, but as he starts being found out, having fibbed here and there um people are like mm, i don't know about this guy um but so we're so i mean it's a, it's kind of a bet it's an interesting bet i like it because it's it's clean and simple and worth trying um 
and, and if it works, you know, I, I often actually advocate this in, in, in design conversations where it's like, don't solve a problem you don't know you have, right? Like, because the, the most elegant thing doesn't actually um, do that. It, 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 it actually just tries, to, it's like the, what's my best example I gave somebody the other day, uh, the hybrid cars, for instance, right? Like when Tesla started, that they chose explicitly not to make a hybrid car because a hybrid car is the cop-out version of an electric, right? It's an electric, but you put an engine, which makes it a worse electric and a worse gas <laughs> car. It's like the worst, like it's far more complex. You got both parts. They all have to work. You, you got, you know, you got less room for gas, less room for electric. Like it's, you know, it's arguably better uh, these days. Now it's been matured than, than a gas car, but it's, it's, if you were a car company investing in that, you are nowhere near building an actual electric. Uh, hence Toyota being the one that's farthest behind, even though they had the priors, uh, Prius. Um, anyway, but um, so I, I like the elegance of saying like, you know, you ain't gonna need it basically. You ain't gonna need something that's gonna make uh, reality align uh, because pe people will do that. You, your your own members will do that for you. Uh, is that, did I get the hypothesis uh, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much right. Um, it, it's basically a bet that reality matters and it's kind of formalizing and financializing something that we already do we already invest our trust in people and uh either and the trust in various people or institutions goes up and down based on their results this is things that already happen just implicitly and so by giving it a market okay. um it helps to it helps to i guess what you'd say is add liquidity to that you don't, if, if you're like a, a big Wall Street Journal fan or Washington Post fan, I think it was, uh, you know, they were saying for a long time that there's, uh, you know, no way that this was uh, engineered or leaked from a lab or something like that. They're very big, you know, bat suit proponents. And then about 18 months later, they, they were one of the first to do a, a reversal on that. And it's a very illiquid marketplace of ideas that, you know, minds don't change at the rate that minds change. Minds change at the rate that institutions let them change. So by making uh, the marketplace of ideas and belief investing, which we all already naturally do anyway, explicit and building a metaphor for it into society, it makes, it increases the iteration rate and allows us to learn at the rate that we actually learn and not just at the rate that institutions permit. So what phase are you at right now? Like what's the current stage of uh, development? Is it is this out? Can people use it? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely out. It launched February 15th, 2021. And yeah, we had a great first day, which resulted in that uh, Vice article that uh, Andrew mentioned earlier. Um, the problem was gas fees were exorbitant because it's on Ethereum layer one. So we finally migrated to Arbitrum on layer two. Gas fees are about 90% lower. The problem is now though, that there's an extra technical barrier. So the Venn diagram of people that have like the crypto knowledge or crypto patience to navigate Ethereum and then Arbitrum uh, is, is the, the smallest it will ever be. The UX is as bad as it will ever be. And that's bittersweet news. It's bitter because obviously it, it's, it's hard to use. And it's sweet because it's literally as bad as it will ever be. Um, because the whole industry is facing the sort of UX problem and we're kind of at the mercy of the industry's progress on that. We can't reinvent all the wheels out there. Um, it's live now, it's on Arbitrum. We're launching this Wikipedia market, which will allow people to buy directly into ideas 
or concepts or people as categorized by Wikipedia. If there's a Wikipedia page for it, you can put money behind it. And I'm particularly excited about this right now because the Epstein didn't kill himself meme has a Wikipedia page. Like not the guy, Jeffrey Epstein, but the meme Epstein didn't kill himself has its own Wikipedia page. So that can become an idea market listing. And um, I hope that you know, a GameStop type phenomenon happens there. And that's that's really what we're trying to build it for, to be this kind of GameStop-esque lightning rod for frustrated intellectual communities. So are you guys committed now to this uh, layer two solutions, things like Solana, stuff like that is out of your... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm keeping abreast on it and I, I want to be informed, but switching to something like Solana would be an absolutely massive undertaking that I'm not sure how we would execute if we wanted to. I was blessed to meet an incredibly talented smart contract developer early on in Idea Market's journey. And I, I not being a technically uh, educated person have been trusting his judgment um, for uh, staying close to the Ethereum ecosystem. And I completely agree with that. It seems like that's where a lot of the serious and committed um, geniuses are, that there is like a kind of uh, commitment to those communities. And I love the ethos of the Ethereum community, especially with Gitcoin and public goods funding. Like there's just kind of a lot of alignment there and it's just a very strong community. And I'm, I'd be very wary to uproot the tree for, you know, some new thing, even if it looks flashy and nice. Yep. No, no, it's totally, yeah. The, this speed topic is so interesting, right? Because it's, it's almost like Ethereum was the one that was supposed to solve it for Bitcoin. And then it happened to <laughs> Ethereum. Um, uh, but I, I have, again, I, my, my visibility on crypto is, is from far away and, you know, um, I should probably get back into, like, I, I've, I've been trying to maintain a single, a one Bitcoin position for, for uh, a long time. Um, I bought one at 450 pounds, UK pounds, uh, back in the day, which isn't, it was like six, six, 700 bucks. Um, yeah. but then I was, anyway, long story short, I had to sell it for technical reasons, um, moving accounts and stuff. And I've, I've yet to re recreate my position, but I'm not like your you know, like all in on, on, on Bitcoin or whatever kind of, uh, or, or any, any crypto really. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of observing this stuff and, and it, to be completely honest with you presents just as much of a sense making challenge to me as, as UFOs. Um, it is such a, like, it makes perfect sense that this is happening in a, in a sense, like it's a, it's a, uh, macrocosm of the idea market cosm, right? Because like you, every coin is an idea and people are investing in it. Um, and it goes up and down with how people feel about it, which is reflexive with its own future, <laughs> which is crazy, but there we are. Um, and then, but anybody who's an expert makes up their own mind, puts their money in the, and then they're conflicted, right? Are they conflicted or are they invested? Like, are, are they putting their money where their mouth is or are they corrupted? Like, you know, you can't really know how to how to uh, parse that. And I, I'm pretty sure I could, but I would have to spend a lot of time sort of um, following people and just getting a signal. And, and, you know, there's like a thick, uh, layer of, of bullshit <laughs> for lack of a better term. No, you're 100% uh, right. And you know, the, the hardest part, probably not the hardest part, but a challenge is at the moments when crypto is most, most like bright lights, flashy, 
you know, attention grabby, like when, at, when it's at its most alluring to, uh, to non insiders is, is at the points of highest bullshit, because when it's boring, when the market has tanked, when Bitcoin has been at, you know, $6,000 for a year, it's only the serious people who are like working on something that are around. And when you when if you like look look at that ecosystem and the the it's a lot leaner than one in which NFTs are being you know partnering with the NFL and crypto companies are buying the naming rights to stadiums. It's just a completely different uh, environment to navigate. But you're absolutely you're absolutely right. Yeah, the it's like the bullshit ups that flows with the with the price of the the market, <laughs> with the, the Bitcoin yeah, exactly. price specifically. Probably. Because market scale curiosity, everyone sees Bitcoin going up and then goes, "Oh, what's that? I should learn about that." And it brings in all these noobs who haven't had their you know haven't right. been through the ringer. Right, but it sounds like also market scale bullshit, uh, which is an interesting corollary yeah. to your yeah yeah um, absolutely true to your other aphorism. Um, but I mean, it's also that yeah yeah like it's almost like um. You know, like how, I don't know, there's like these nature documentaries I watch now with my son. So, you know, I'm, I'm now watching David Attenborough or whatever. Uh, but you have like these like thousands of fish just jumping, right? And then you have like the storks. First the storks come, then the, like, the bears come, then like, whatever. So in the end, like just a few that make it through, like the, the Rambos of the of the school. Um, but that's, that, that's, that's actually an excellent metaphor. Them. I mean that 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 even lines up with crypto lingo, like the notion of whales who own all the crypto, just just scooping up all the guppies and 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 minnows that have their little positions, and that's absolutely how it works too. Like I used to work for a slight slight side note. I used to work for a company that was building a three D trading tech. It makes 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 crypto trading feel like guitar hero. It was really cool. But I learned a ton about trading, and one of the things I learned was that the whales pretty much systematically build narratives to get minnows to take positions in a certain place and then exploit those positions. Right. And this is, this is just, that's just how it works. And, um, I don't know. I just figured that was important to say in case anyone hadn't heard that it. Is, sounds that's sounds crazy. Like it that is. there is it's, essentially like a proper discipline of narrative, uh, engineering. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's all, it's all market market making. And that, and that lines up with the, um, narrative world as well, because the, you know, the narratives kind of exist to serve markets and market makers, not the reverse. Like the first reaction to COVID when it started getting, becoming more serious news in the United States was don't worry, the markets will be fine. And Trump was like, the markets are overreacting. And, and, every, and the big important people were saying the markets shouldn't react so hard to COVID. And it was all about preserving the markets, not about acknowledging this threat that was coming and we had no idea what to do with. Um, so yeah, like the the narrative, the narrative market making and the literal trading market making are kind of the same beast in, in different levels of abstraction. So where were we now? Okay, so so yeah, you guys, so you guys are working on this uh, layer two. I guess it's like some sort of project on top of Ethereum, right? If I understand correctly, is it like a side chain or like what's the technical? No, the technical term is is called a roll up, and okay. my my you know kindergarten level understanding of it is uh, typically when you have a bunch of transactions that are waiting in, you know, in line to be processed by Ethereum miners, uh, 
the gas fees go up because you have to pay a lot to get to the front of the line in order for the miners to accept you. And what a rollup does is it takes a bunch of takes a bunch of transactions at once, processes them all at once, and then spits them back into the main chain to be processed like as a bunch. So it's it's a second layer. They call it a layer two. A side chain is not connected to layer one. It's it's a completely different ecosystem. So it doesn't inherit the security of layer one, whereas a layer two does. Got it. Right. So. Okay, so but but basically, right now the, the the boundary for you guys is the fact that the people who are able to sort of swing the amount of tech uh, required to uh, understand that layer two basically and be able to use the system is you know a select few, and you're kind of digging in for a long engagement with trench warfare. <laughs> yeah, the UX side is is really the limitation because if if our UX were as slick as Robinhood, then the GameStop thing would be you know way way easier but robin hood has you know oh it's on your phone and you press the button and it's done it's like a piece of cake connect your card done um so the the road for the crypto ux is from where we are to there and in the meantime the deeper the metaphor sinks in and the more it kind of scratches the itches that it's meant to scratch um you know the better it's kind of laying laying the philosophical framework for it because people are just thirsting for um, you know, satisfaction in this in this world of mayhem and absurdity, and everyone thinks they're right. Everyone thinks they're unheard, and everyone's correct about that. You know, everyone's 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 tired of, of things not making sense. So I'm hoping that this metaphor is 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 satisfying to people, and that's where it starts. That's really cool. The um, I will um, throw an idea away, which may or may not work. Um, but I'm, I've been pondering it for something else crypto related. Um, uh, so I'll throw it your way and see what you think. Um, but ha- this is the Belena podcast. So I have to hawk Belena anyway. Uh, it's, I'm contractually, uh, yeah, please <laughs> do, please do. So, um, Belena works on tablets, right? But even if, if it didn't work on tablets, you can take a raspberry Pi and stick a, a touchscreen on it. And it's the same thing. Um, so what I've been thinking about for things that either require high security or have a very complex stack that needs to be set up in a, exactly the right way and goes all the way down the kernel or like whatever, you just need things to be set up just uh, just exactly the right way is to make it a, a, a Belen application and really literally sell like the thing. So if you had a tab, like if, if let's say you said idea market, if we had the UX of Robinhood, that'd be amazing. It's on your phone. Okay. What if, what's the next best thing, right? Like, can it be on a tablet, that dedicated tablet? You turn it on, it's a DM market, and I tap, tap, tap. That is more expensive, more clunky. But in terms of friction for my mother, she can do it. You know, it can have all the wallets. And if you need specific TPUs on there, you can have them. Like, whatever it is you want, you can just set up a package. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not really, you know, I mean, I'm definitely pitching it to you. But I'm also throwing it out there as an idea in general for improving the UX of crypto. As in, like, if I could just order a thing. Right. And I can do some magical ritual. I could go to the genius bar. I don't care to set it up to myself. So then it's mine and I trust it and I turn it on and it like, you know, gives me, you know, because like normies and crypto, you know, <laughs> is a hard conversation. It's hard. If, it's hard. You can get them over that hump. And, and then the, the, the safety protocol is like, this is yours and just don't let anybody touch it. And or even if you do, like it unlocks with your fingerprint. So so long as something doesn't go terribly hard. Or even my favorite thing, uh, slightly more complicated, but like some some sort of NFC ring that it doesn't turn on without the presence of. So if I can always track where this is, 
um the rest is kind of dead without it or whatever but um the point is um you can you can create that black box to pack up all the technology so that it has that experience it's like turn it on do your thing turn it off set it aside has that been explored at all again um not by me that's a that's a new cool approach to this like at the hardware level i'd never thought about because hardware is difficult and expensive but i understand that that it, you could potentially leapfrog that whole thing um someone more technically knowledgeable than i would have to you know assess the feasibility of that um cool. it seems from the existing ecosystem like um we're a lot closer to having user-friendly wallets crypto wallets than we used to um and the nft craze is helping with that the fact that so many people are being interested in nfts you know to their to their benefit or not um does inculcate the technology and the culture a lot better and make it more common knowledge and less of like a nerd thing and the more you know the more natural and intuitive um, things become just by nature of people learning them out of self-interest, market scale curiosity. You can make money with this. I'll, I will learn how to use it, you know, um, the better. So the, the UX problem in a couple of years might not be as bad as it is now, just because it using crypto might be a lot more normal. So we might circumvent that problem that way in that same amount of time. Right. Right. Yeah, no, that sounds, that sounds fascinating. I mean, I, I want to keep, keep talking about this stuff, but I think I have a far better understanding now of what uh what it is you're 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 building and i i mean i can't wait to see how how it goes i i, I do retain my uh keynesian market keynesian, like I'd, I'd love to be wrong on this uh, i do retain my keynesian beauty market uh beauty contest uh concern um but i i i can also see why i might be wrong and it would be beautiful like if if i am wrong it will be just, you know, one of these like moments of just divine elegance where, you know, everything goes wrong, but exactly in the right way or something. <laughs> just yeah. like, I, land on the other side. Uh, that would be amazing. Yeah. Thank you. I really, I really hope so too. And I'm, I'm definitely more optimistic about the content type curation being less Keynesian than the people type curation. Right. Because, you know, right now Elon Musk is at the top and why not? You know, it's, right. if the platform blows up, Elon Musk is going to be at the top. Um, but when you have, you know, weirdos who have never had a voice surfacing weird things on Wikipedia, um, who knows how that's going to turn out? Oh, but uh, Elon is such a great example, by the way, right? Because yeah. I mean, part of, uh, you know, I think I said on Twitter a few times, like I, uh, you know, I, I made a, you know, sizable bet for me at least on Elon when Elon was definitely his stock was down, and not just his company stock, his personal stock. And I just knew the guy, and I was like, "No, he's he's got it." Like you know, in in, in Peter Thiel's terms, don't bet against Elon. Um, and yeah, now everybody's like thinks Elon is the best, or well, not everybody. That's cool. Is is there a story there? I would love to hear you know more details, like what you saw that everyone missed and what was going on. Oh yeah, I mean, I can totally tell a story. Um, okay, yes. we're reversing the <laughs> turning it into an interview, but um, for me, like the the the. Uh, the pandemic stuff is coming after the Tesla stuff. Um, and the Tesla stuff is is coming in parallel as is the pandemic stuff with what the sense making we're doing inside Valena. So to me, it's like a very much a like uh, all of these things are connected. But this style of sense making, I think we developed inside Valena um, and we proved to ourselves that it works and we were less vocal than we should have been 
uh, definitely in the early days. We've made many, many breakthroughs that we just didn't bother to claim credit for. We were the first people to put Docker on ARM. Who knows that, right? Um, anyway, and, and there's a lot more. We're just like pathologically, like, you know, introverted. Um, and then, so I started uh, trying to understand Tesla, mostly as an entrepreneur. You know, if you're a basketball player, you study Michael Jordan. <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur in technology. <laughs> Who am I going to study? Um, but, but then I started noticing that there was like this very big community of like haters, just like, I mean, they wanted the guy dead. Uh, if they could, they would. Like, they've found this one photo with, like, just Lynn Ma Ma Maxwell, where they're, like, in different groups. They're, like, literally looking in different directions. It's trying to make, like, a, a point. They've uh, said he killed his girlfriend, who then, like, turns out is not dead. Um, like, I, I mean, I, I can keep going, and it's so disgusting that I, 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 get, I get really upset. But the point is, I try to understand what the hate was because it's when you really like somebody and there's like a big community that really doesn't like that person, you're like, wait, this is really weird. Uh, what's wrong, right? So you, you, you dig in and, and I found um, a, a lot of people who are skeptical of renewables, right? Which Elon actually is not a total hawk for. He's not, he's not, like, he doesn't fit the bill of, like, you know, your Greenpeace activist or something. Um, he's very careful. He's like, don't shut down nuclear or whatever. But, like, it doesn't matter. He gets swept, he got swept up because he was a poster child of that. Um, and a, a very interesting other subgroup of, like, model thinkers, linear thinkers, who are like, well, the gap metrics are crap and they're going to go bankrupt. And a lot of these people are funds that, like, have been, like, bludgeoned by Apple then bludgeoned by Amazon, and then moving on for the three-peat, bludgeoned by Tesla these days, right? They're just like, don't get it. They're like, I am a Ben Graham, uh, you know, whatever. And if, uh, uh, what's his name? Warren Buffett doesn't invest, you know, I'm sure there's something wrong here. And basically, they keep coming up with this ever more complicated explanations why it's all fraud, while, you know, the company is double, like adding 50% to its... Uh, revenue year after on average from the second year they've been public to today they've been adding on average more than 50 percent every single year and you would ask okay why are you excluding the first year i'm excluding the first year because that would be cheating they, they did like a 3x in that year right they just like it was just completely off the charts positive so i'm just let's leave that one aside um, but even if you take from a second year onwards, it's like more than 50%. You don't, you don't find these numbers. They, they don't exist in a, in a company of this capitalization, this kind of growth. You, it just doesn't exist. Right. And we can go deeper into the metrics and whatever, but like for a long time, they were loss making. Right. Now this is even linguistically deceptive language because loss, they're not the money. They didn't misplace it. Right. They didn't like set it on fire. They were making factories. But so long as your financials are looking negatives, negative, everybody can make the argument that the more cars you sell, the more money you lose, and therefore it's a matter of time until you get completely wiped out, right? Um, it's kind of like, oh, they'll make it up in volume, whatever. Um, and so this thing, whole thing ossified just thinking that uh, basically Tesla's cooking the books, it's a massive fraud, you know, yeah, what if PricewaterhouseCooper is auditing your books, they're in on it, like, just like this incredibly, like, comp sure, that could happen. Right. But like, I know that I hear when I hear Elon, I hear an engineer, right? Talk in detail. You can ask him, like, people have asked him all sorts of things. He will talk in detail, at depth, and consistently across time. That is a mind that doesn't match. Um, okay. Here's the joke there was Nikola Motors that came up at some point, right? With this guy, Tra uh, Trevor Milton, who 
actually the the man literally said the words. He he, he said that I can out Elon Elon. Anyway, but, <laughs> right? But the the, the Tesla haters now jumped on that. They're like, oh, he's great. This guy knows his stuff, right? And the Tesla community was like, no, he doesn't. This, like, we want to support electric vehicles, and they do support. Like, you know, Rivian has definitely like uh, support. Even Lucid, which is like a bit iffy, like has people supporting it. Um, you know, in general, like there's like a, a you know a kind of a peace between EV manufacturing. I mean, there's definitely squabbles, but like there's a, this general feeling. Like, but Nikola, like people were like, no, this is this is garbage. Um, so you have it's not like you, the Tesla community is like these like um, irredeemable optimists that will just believe everything, and the Tesla Q is like these irredeemable. But no, it was like very specific, like you know, positive on this, negative on this. Te- Nikola got revealed as it, like it, it peaked at seventy, and now it's like at, at I don't know sub 10 something uh, I, I don't know i don't know where they are now but so so basically i i noticed that the skeptics were just consistently wrong like they were just motivated by something else than wanting to be uh correlated with truth and i don't know how far you want to take the conspiracy theory but i do know that you know the global oil uh industry like you know to put 10 billion dollars on shorting a company is about six hours of profits or something <laughs> If they can delay Tesla for six hours, it's worth it, right? Um, so I was like, okay, this is not looking good at all. And and at some point, it went so low without any negative news at that time. And it, when it hit like 180 before the split, like it was $180 before the five to one split. So to compare to today's prices, you have to divide by five. Um, so it was like 40 bucks, I guess, like less than $40 per share. Now it's like what? 1,000 above a thousand above right? a thousand i think yeah yeah i mean it hit, hit 1200 at some point but um the you know it was a 30th roughly a 30th of today's prices um and i was like okay this is ridiculous there's no bad news coming up if, if even the news from the company has like slightly improved not a lot but it's stabilized and like looking up um it's it's it, the, the the stock price is in in the trash like no explanation and i'm like you know what what's the worst that can happen? Like somebody will buy it for the logo and it's worth about this much at this point. Like whatever it's valued at, like that's logo price. Like you could like the rest is for free. <laughs> but I was like, this is so clear. Right. And if I, if it goes lower than something, I'll, I'll come out and okay, I'll take the L, but it, it looked very clear to me. So I went in, I, I cranked up the margin and I was like, sit back. And it, it the, the hardest thing has been to let it sit since then. Because it's gone up and up and up and up and up, um, and yeah, it's been wild. Like I, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of luck in this, right? But that feeling of click when you just see it, you're like, "This is logo price. This is there is nothing makes sense at this point. This, whatever yeah. is happening, I don't know about it, and I'm reading about this every day." Um, or you know, it's like the last gasp of people trying to cause them a problem um, before they give up. Um, so there's some parallel here, right? Where like how you felt about Musk and Tesla, that Mike is what you want other people to feel and be able to act upon, but not in the traditional market sense. It's there's yeah. some connection there, right? There's some other path. Oh, 100. Like, this is exactly same, it. Yeah. Yeah, ex- exactly the same feeling that you know you can you can throw PR against a brick wall, and at the end of the day, it's still a brick wall. And if it's coming, it's coming. And you know, the earlier you can see that, you should be able to profit from helping others see that and and, and making that, you know, improving the iteration rate of, of common knowledge. 
actually, wow. at, at the risk of making this uh, round even longer, uh, there was a fascinating detail there because the the attack mode used by the shorts, uh, led by Jim Chanos, was to attack Tesla's perceived liquidity, right? Because Tesla, especially with the acquisition of SolarCity, uh, was seen as needing money from the markets to run their model, right? You could do that. Uh, financial companies do that all the time. Uh, so because it was seen as being, in effect, a financial company, what they were trying to do is cause a bank run, right? Cause everybody to disbelieve them so that when they tried to raise money, the money wouldn't be there. And therefore, like, so, so the, the, the bet that they would fall would become a reality, very much like uh, Soros and the British pound or something, um, because of the existence of the bet itself. It's not like independent of the prediction. It's like the prediction itself causes. Yeah, the yeah. that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, the the crypto market works a lot uh, of the same ways. Um, given the scarcity of crypto assets and their their newness, there's a lot of incentive for for manipulation because if if you don't get one of the 21 million sorry you just don't get one of the 21 million so institutions that are upset about being you know, left out of the early stages of the past 10 years um there's 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 a repeated you know pattern in crypto where uh like there'll be this run up to a huge peak and then whales will sell the top and then over the next few years it will just try to frustrate out everyone in between and everyone it'll just hope despair hope despair hope despair low prices it's and if you're not if you're not in it for the tech or whatever you'll leave so that the only people left at after this cycle is people who won't really sell under any circumstances so that the next time they pump it again it'll go even higher um and in these you know little hope despair fluctuations there is a you know a pr engine that goes along with market movements. Like the, the Bitcoin crash from a few days ago, you know, fundamentally nothing has changed about Bitcoin. Adoption is, is continuing continuing to skyrocket and have, you know, political uh, clout behind it in, you know, the mayor of Miami and the um, head of El Salvador. And the, um, you know, the news, the sentiment, it's like, a, it's, a try, it's trying to push the sentiment index all the way to the fear side and get that sell. So the, the market moves, you know, come at 3 a.m. when no one's paying attention and the liquidity is the lowest and just punch right through whatever is there in order to tank the price, to drive the narrative, to get people to sell. It's exactly the same phenomenon that the narrative is driving the market to drive the narrative um, because there is kind of a, you know, belief-based thing. It's decisions rule the world. It's trying to get people to make decisions that help you gain power and advantage. That's that's beautiful. So it, it, it makes a lot of sense to me now. Um, I'd, I'd love to see. I, I, I'm I'm definitely updating towards neutral uh, after this last uh, this last <laughs> cycle. So uh, this is really cool. Um, yeah. So it will be it will be fascinating to see you guys. And I hope we keep in touch. Maybe we'll have more conversations like these over time. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we will. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I'm I'm sure we will. Any any time, any place, anytime, any place, man. You know, you know, just say it. Um, yeah, you're you're uh, you're my you're my you're my voice of voice of reason because in in the uh, I, I just being sort of an epiphany addict, I'd I'd love to go down the conspiracy rabbit holes and all that stuff. So I'm always you know jumping to conclusions about COVID things and 
and all the you know tentacular evil that's going on there and you know you're you're you know a bit of the, an anchor an anchor for me knowing that you know it kind of opened to the spectrum i think you're handling it really well much much greater patience than i will ever have so i'll just <laughs> let you handle i just that. doubt myself a lot i you know i won't i won't say something until i feel like reasonably certain um and that actually holds me back uh which you, people wouldn't believe if you told them that i said that but like that's how i feel in my head at least yeah um i do sound overconfident sometimes I, yeah like I, yeah anyway there's probably another conversation we can start there but i sure sure <laughs> we'll get there we'll get there i would love to have that conversation go on thanks thanks for this this is super helpful i know a lot more now about both uh, both things awesome great pleasure i want to i want to share a couple a couple links that that I forgot to share earlier. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll throw them in no, the show can, notes too. Okay, it just it just turns out that the guy who wrote the Reddit comment that opened the door to UFOs for me actually made a website that like summarizes all the stuff in there. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, ufopanel.com. Pretty straightforward. P a n e l ufopanel.com, and all it right. you know has all these quotes from military people. And when you look at this stuff, it's like, what, what, you know. You, that that beats every standard of authoritative endorsement that could be there about anything, um, and that's you know that's that's what made me go all right let's let's look behind this curtain here. Uh, cool, thanks, dude. Yeah, thanks, man. Pleasure. Thanks so much. Fun. I had a ton of fun. I'll, uh, Hopefully, I'll you guys I don't know if this will become a nice explainer for some people that uh, want a different form. Uh, sometimes it, it, it could, it, it could, especially people who are are, are nerds like us, because I let myself run free with the theory in a ways that I, that I usually don't. But it's just it's yeah. it's it's, it's yeah. what's you fun. You probably me. shouldn't make this your your homepage uh, video, but uh. <laughs> no, 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 no. But if, if if we can, you know, if if people jive with this kind of talk, I'm all for it by all means. Cool, I mean, it's encouragement to just stay curious, right? Don't get swept up in someone else's narrative. Like you're building. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Writing off possibilities uh-huh. is always a losing game. Yeah, I'm all about that. All right, thanks so much, guys. Thank thanks, guys. you all. Thank you all so much for listening or watching this episode of the Belena Podcast. We appreciate your support. Thank you.